It's really interesting that the first sermon that I ever preached in my life was John chapter 9. And it was at a nursing home. And uh, my, my church that I was in in North Raleigh had a nursing home ministry. And so we would go in and we'd preach at 2 o'clock, at 3 o'clock, and 4 o'clock. And as you preached at this uh, nursing home, you would preach at 2 o'clock and then you'd preach at 3 o'clock. And then in the 4 o'clock, the 4 o'clock atmosphere was a little bit, some, some folks there were, were um, uh, struggling with memory and things like that. And so I remember vividly going there and opening up this, this text this story about the blind man receiving his sight through Jesus transforming his life. And Dana was the worship leader for the day, and she had the hymnal out, and she would flip to the, the hymnal because he lives. And um, we were sitting there watching these ladies who, some of the ladies, most of them ladies, who could not even feed themselves. And then all of a sudden we get into that chorus, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. And they went into unison. It was like the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. If you know what I'm talking about. It was like a choir from heaven. You know, they remembered those, those things. Um, uh, and it was just such a, such a beautiful thing. I do remember something really funny happened that, that experience. I was in the middle of, of speaking. And there was a lady that was in the back. And she just started chanting. She just bop, bah, bah, just started chanting and over and over again. Dana was sitting next to her and she was rubbing her hand. And finally, the lady on the front row right here as I was getting ready to speak was just very agitated at this lady. And she just said, shh. She shushed her like three times. And finally, she kept going. And the lady on the front row, I mean, I'm in the middle of the message. And she just shushed her and she said, shh, shut up, stupid. <laughs> and, and... <laughs> My dad, when I was telling my dad that story, he's very witty, he said, I, I personally believe that that lady was speaking in tongues and that other lady was her interpreter and she was talking to you. <laughs> well played, dad, well played. Well played. John chapter 9, let's go. Okay, John chapter 9. Here we are. We're, we're jumping into uh, what we're talking about, the fourth week in our message series called Gospel Transformation. I just need to ask you something. Do you believe that God transforms lives? Okay, that is, we shouldn't be here if we don't believe that. We believe that God radically and boldly transforms lives. Yes to salvation and yes continually. So we keep coming here knowing that each and every day he is changing us. Each and every day he is transforming us into his likeness. And then one day he comes back and it's all said and done and we get to worship him forever. Amen? That's what we get to do. So we get to see these stories of God changing lives in the Bible. And we know that the God is the same yesterday as he was as he is today. And so we get to see him change lives there and pray that we get to see him change lives here. Starting with ourselves on an ongoing basis and continuing out through our neighborhoods, co-workers, family members. Yes, even family members. And we get to watch him do that. And it's such a beautiful, beautiful thing for us to see him do. And, and so why are we talking about gospel transformation? Let's back up just real quick. Maybe go back into November and, and realize that our statement is that we want to glorify God and make disciples by passionately guiding generations through gospel transformation. What? One home at a, one home at a time. That's how we're connecting all these things together. 
So in January we saw prayer and, and we went and studied on prayer. And now we're taking a look at the Gospel of John and seeing these great stories of transformation that I pray that will incite us, that will embolden us, that will encourage us, that will challenge us to be about the greatest mission in all of the world. Um, and that we would be able to see and see what God would do in our community starting here in Northwest Cary and going beyond. Um, but so John chapter 9 is a beautiful, beautiful picture of the transformation of a man who was born blind. And so, yes, he did receive physical sight, but the most important thing is, is he received his spiritual sight. He was spiritually healed of his blindness as to who Jesus is. And so we're going to go jump in there. What I have decided to do in terms of looking at this is we've got three points at the end, but the text is so long. There's so many verses, around 35 verses, that we're going to go through very slowly, but I've broken it down into seven conversations. Because I don't want us to get lost into who's talking to who, so we miss the context of what's happening. I want us to trace this conversation all the way through. And so we're going to start with conversation number one, and that is that Jesus and his disciples. And so we'll talk about this, and at the end I've got three points for us. And uh, let's go ahead and jump into verse, uh, verse number one. And again, the conversation number one is between Jesus and his disciples, his, his inner circle Let's go, and it says this, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. Blindness was an uncommon, was uncommon during this time. If you were an uncared for blind person, then what you were result, what your life would look like, what you were left with, is that you would be a beggar. This individual guy sort of hung out at the temple area for his entire life because he was blind and he was begging and there were a lot of people that were coming in and out of the temple that that would give him an opportunity to ask for things. And so that's where he was positioned because, like the text says, he was born from, he was blind from birth. He's blind from birth. What sticks out to me, and I don't want you to miss this, I want you to trace what Jesus did not the disciples said, what did Jesus do? We want to be more like Jesus. What did he say? He saw a man. May we live in such a way through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can see what Jesus wants us to see. Many times we're walking through our lives and we only see what we're trying to be about. It becomes very selfish and cynical and about us. Let's walk like Jesus was walking. It says right there in the text that as he passed by, which means just as he's living life, it said he saw a man born blind. May we see, may we notice those that are hurting, those that are around us. Verse 2, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Popular Jewish doctrine said that you had an affliction or that you were suffering because, number one, you sinned. You committed some kind of a sin, so you were being judged against, and therefore, that that's the reason that you have this affliction. It was because of your sin that God did this. Or, another option would be that your parents sinned, your parents committed a sin, and because of their sin, you are now suffering. Let's be very honest with you. We have decisions that we normally make on a regular basis that allows us to suffer because of bad decisions that we've all made. That is true. We've also been able to sit back and we are having situations or we're having disconnect or, 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 or sin in our life because of the decisions of our family members. That is, that is possibility. That surely is true. What we need to understand here is the case of original sin. 
Let's make sure we understand that we do not become a sinner when we do the act of sinning. We are sinners by nature and by choice. Romans says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We come into this world choosing against things against God. And so what takes place in this text is we're, we must understand that the act of sinning is a result because of a nature of sin. That's really important for us to understand and not forget. And so that's what's going on right now. There's a discussion right now. The, the disciples are saying, well, come on. Who, who, who caused him to be in this situation? Who caused him to be in this situation? And Jesus is going to say, I'll, t- I'll tell you exactly what the cause was, or the reason. I'll tell you the reason that he's blind. Verse number three. Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So the glory of God was the purpose of his affliction. The purpose of God was the, was the, was the reason. Verse four, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Most of us would take a look at that. If you're reading it just straight up, you're saying, oh, the sun's going, to down. It's going down. It's going to be dark, so we're not going to be able to continue to do what we're doing. What Jesus is talking about right now is that he recognizes that his time to go to the cross was getting really close. He is the light of the world. He's going to declare that in a few minutes. He's the light of the world, and while the light is still here and present among you, we've got a lot of work to do. Because there will be a time when I go to, cro- go to the cross where darkness will come. But then the light will come back when he appears to the disciples, gives them the power of the Holy Spirit, and he says to us, I want you to be the light of the world. Go and be light. Be what? Salt and light. So he's saying, I'm the light of the world. How does Jesus continue to be the light of the world? By filling his people with his light. So that they can represent him. That's what we do. That's what we're supposed to do. That's who we are. So that's what he wants them them to see right now. Um, Verse 5. Here's the declaration. As long as I am in the world. As long as I'm here. I need you to know something. I am the light of the world. I am is going all the way back to God. When he speaks to Moses. Moses says, well, who should I say? Who, who sent me? Who should I say that sent me? And, Jesus, and God said to him, I am that I am. And then Jesus comes into the Gospel of John. He says seven statements. We saw one last week where he said, I am the bread of life. And then this week, he makes a very clear declaration. I am the light of the world. I am the way that you see. I am going to light up your path by which you should walk. I'm going to give definition. I'm going to give clarity. I'm going to give you hope. I'm going to give you vision in the midst of really tough times. That's what I do. That's who I am. So that's what he declares to them. And then we come up to conversation number two, which is Jesus and the blind man. So verse number six. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud. And said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and he washed and he came back seeing. And I know most of you are sitting back and going, how in the world did that take place? Because that's a lot of spit to make mud. All right, that's that's me. (laughs) That's a lot of saliva. That's a lot of spit to make mud. What 
he was doing. And I'm sitting there going, well, what does this mean? What, what does it mean that he made uh, mud from the ground? Listen, many times in the scripture, Jesus looks at someone and says, rise, take up your mat and walk, and they walk. Many times he looks, in the, he looks at nature and he'll say, peace be still, and the calming of the storm was still. It happens based on his spoken word. A lot of healing sometimes, a lot of times in the Bible, happens when Jesus just says something with his words. And there are other times where he chooses to use the natural order of world, the, the natural things to bring about healing. You might look at the cancer patient and say, how were you healed? Well, I had chemotherapy. And I'm sitting here and I'm 20 years uh, cancer-free because of the medicine that was used. What this means, here's a quote for what this means is God does not despise the physical world he has made. He uses the means of food to sustain life. He uses a thousand remedies to bring about healing from sleep to penicillin, from riboflavin to radiation, from sunshine on the skin to cough syrup for the throat. And in this situation, yes, he could have spoken and he would have opened his eyes, but he chose to use the mud that was mixed up from the ground that he had made with his saliva and put it on his eyes. Verse, uh, let's look at conversation number three. We have the blind beggar and the neighbors. And so you have people that have seen him, seen him all his life and they, they, they know exactly what's going on. Well, this is a blind guy, and he begs, and he's been doing this for a long time. Okay, he has a reputation. Some might say he's a loser. Some might say he's an outcast. Some might say he's less important than anyone else because of what's going on in his life and the circumstances that he's, he's limited to. So verse 8, here it comes, the blind beggar and the neighbors. Make sure you understand that Jesus has left the conversation he comes back, oh, that's beautiful, we'll get there in a minute. But he's not in the conversation until the end of the chapter. Verse 8, the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no. But he is like him. So some of them are saying, oh, it must be his twin brother. It must be his cousin. It's, it's somebody that looks just like him, but... but so there's a conversation going on, and they're not really sure who it is, and they're confused. Why? Because they've never seen this take place before, where a blind person who was born blind came to have his sight. And here's the blind beggar sitting over here in the corner, and what does he say? It says, he kept saying consistently, I am the man. I'm, that's me. I'm him. He's testifying. I, I, that's me. You're... you're it's not my brother, it's not my cousin, okay? It is me, verse number 10. So they said to him, then how will your eyes open? Don't miss what he says. Verse 11, he answered them, the man called Jesus, made mud, anointed my eyes, and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and I washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. It's beautiful. He's sitting there going, who in the world did this to you? He said, all I know is that there was a man, his name was Jesus. And I want you to track in this text the beautiful gospel transformation in this man's life, in, 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 in this blind beggar in his life. So we already saw that Jesus saw him, that Jesus came and healed him. And we got this, this, this blind beggar 
who is the attention of the city right now. And they're like, well, what happened to you? And he's like, this is, I'm just going to tell you, this is, where he, this is what he did, and I don't know where he is. I love the word. He kept saying, I am the man. Conversation number four is the blind beggar and the Pharisees. So the neighbors right now are a little upset and they're kind of confused. They're like, okay, we don't know who this guy is. We're going to bring him to the religious leaders of the day. We're going to bring him to the Pharisees. They are the religious rule of the city. And so we're going to do that. So verse 13 says, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been born blind. <laughs> I love that. Formerly been born blind. Never, never, verse 14. Now it was a Sabbath day. When Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. <laughs> he put mud here, I washed him and now I see. That's all I know. That's all I got right now. And then he says, 16. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such things? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, well, he's, he's a prophet. Transformation is taking place right now. He went from a man named Jesus. He went to a prophet. We've been seeing that similarly in Nicodemus, not in Nicodemus, but in the woman at the well. And so it was so unusual for someone who had been born blind to be healed from birth. They'd never seen that before. And what they wanted to do, the Pharisees wanted to do, is they did not want Jesus to get the credit for this healing. They wanted God to get the credit for the healing. But we know the rest of the story. Listen, that Jesus is God in the flesh. He's the full revelation of God. And so they're saying, listen, we want to give credit to God. We don't want to give credit to Jesus because we don't believe that he's coming to do what we think he should do. And that's free, um, free us from this political bondage. So he, he opened the eyes and he stood before the Pharisees and he said, just, he said just that. And so what did they say? They said, this man's number one, he's not from God. And the reason he's not from God is because he's a sinner. Why is he a sinner? Because it is known fact that you do not heal or do things like this on the Sabbath. That is against, listen, that's against the law. That is against the moral law established. So 613, there was a word in there that if you take bread and you need bread, that is a sin against God. The same word for needing bread is also needing mud. It's the same word that was used. So what they're saying is, is number one, you are not allowed to do this on the Sabbath. And because you did this on the Sabbath, there's no possible way you can be God. There's no way you can. So, but the blind man's opinion was that Jesus was a prophet and he went from a man named Jesus to a prophet because Old Testament prophets do and the have in time were, did some healings. And so he grouped him into that category. Here's conversation number five, the Pharisees and the parents. Big lesson for us parents coming up. I'm going to telegraph that right now. Com Pharisees and the parents. And so the Jews did not believe that he had been born blind and had received his sight until they called the parents. It's the first parent-teacher conference. Okay, here it is, right here. So they call the parents in and they say, of the man who received his sight, verse 19, and ask them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. 
But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, and for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to, put out of the, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, go ask him. The Pharisees wanted to discredit the healing. And so they went to the parents to try to sit there and identify that, yeah, indeed, it wasn't, it wasn't what he said it was. He really wasn't born blind. And so all of a sudden you have this conversation where the parents understand and they know that if we, just, if we talk about what happened, that it was this Jesus, then what they will do is they will get kicked out of the synagogue and they will have less in society. They will look down upon, they will look just like their son. They'll look like their son. So what do they do? They sit there and they say, listen, I need you to do something. Just go to him and ask him. He's of age. He can talk. I learned this great lesson at Chick-fil-A. My son wanted a job at Chick-fil-A. I really wanted him to get him a job at Chick-fil-A. I demonstrated him and I told him, I know people at Chick-fil-A. I'm a regular customer. I know the owner and the operator at Chick-fil-A. Trust me, we're good friends. All I got to do is talk to him. You got the job. Drop the mic. Done. So on said day where he was of age, I brought him into Chick-fil-A. He stood beside me and I looked at the Chick-fil-A manager and I said, I, uh, I was just talking to the owner and he told me to talk to you and um, I wasn't really talking like this. I don't know why I am right now. But anyway, um, <laughs> And I just looked at him and I said, hey, he told me to talk to you. And I said, this is my son. He wants a job here. Um, he's 14. You hire 14-year-olds. Uh, we need an application. And um, we're going to go over the table. We're going to fill it out. And we're going to come back here and give it to you. And so gave me the application. Son being very submissive, very quiet. He just sat there and let me do all the talking. Uh, I didn't really let him talk. I just talked. And so went back to the table, sat down at the table. We filled out the application. We went back up, went back up to the manager, and I said, okay, here's the deal. He doesn't have a cell phone, so you can call my phone, but he does have an email address that's on there. He indicated it. He also talked about when he could work. And I said, if you need anything, you just let me know. A month went by, I didn't hear a word. And I was like, hey, wait a minute. I am a faithful patron of the Chick-fil-A. Why is he not calling to hire my son? So I sent said owner an email, and he replied to me. And uh, I will just tell you, because I'll never forget what he said. And I said, hey, I just haven't heard anything. Uh, we've applied, once the job, we applied a month ago, haven't heard anything. And he said, hey, just for the record, I want, you, I want to teach you a parenting lesson. Uh, when kids come in and mom and dad do all of the talking, we write that on the application that mom and dad are more, more concerned about him getting a job than he is getting a job. I paused, I got really defensive, and I kept reading. And I looked at him, he says, let me just let you know something. Let him come in. You need to stay in the parking lot. You need to sit in your car. Let him come in and let him talk. He can do it. Okay, lesson learned. Put that in the important email file. I want to let you know that said son has been working there for a year, but he could have been working there two years. A little slow in my part, so I confess I apologize to him. But I mean, I mean here, here's the lesson. Here's what's going on right now. 
Here he says, hey, he's of age. Let him go tell you. I'm not going to talk for him. Let him go talk to you. Good parenting lesson. Conversation number six. The blind beggar and the Pharisees, round two. So he'd already been to the Pharisees. Then the Pharisees go to the parents. Then he comes back to the Pharisees again. So the Pharisees and the blind beggar. 24. For a second time, what are they trying to do? I want to discredit this Jesus character. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to punch holes in the story of what's going on. They called the man who had been born blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. One of the greatest, greatest demonstrations and personal testimonies I've ever heard in my life. Listen to me, this should free you up to let you know something and free you from trying to know every single thing you need to know about God that, that, that causes you to be fearful and not share the greatest message in the world. What he just said right here, and listen, he is not even a believer yet. What he just said right here is, I don't know all the answers. I'm just telling you, if he's a sinner or not, I just need you to know something. I was blind. Literally, I couldn't see your face. And now I'm looking you right in your face and I see the color of your hair. And that all happened because of him. That, that happened because of him. I got to this text going back to the nursing home. We got back to this text. It was right towards the end of it. I got there and I said, and the blind man basically declared, though I was blind, now I, and I'm telling you in unison, it was the craziest thing. It was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in my life. In unison, these ladies and this man just said, now I see. I said, oh my word. It's just a beautiful picture sometimes of these afflictions that come in our life. And the greatness of God and how he allows us to hold on to something. They were not able to feed themselves. Food was dripping out of their mouth. And we got to this thing. Though I was blind. And they said in unison, now I see. I'll never forget that as long as I live. Verse 26 says this. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Listen, they can't get away from it. He's told them several times. He's going to tell them again. He answered him, I have told you already. And you... And you would not listen. So here is a guy who's ostracized from the community. He's looked at as a loser. He's a beggar outside the temple. And he's looking at the religious leaders of the day and said, you're not listening. And then he says something, and I think it's just really beautiful. Why do you want to hear it again? Here it is. Do you want to also become his disciple? <laughs> I think that's beautiful. Do you want to be his disciple? He's basically saying, come on in. I'm not sure what I believe right now, but just come on in. And they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are the disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why? This is an amazing thing. The beggar, the outcast, the one sitting at the temple. This is beautiful. He says this. This is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Did you hear that? 
You circle that word nothing. Underline it, circle it. If he's not from God, he could do nothing. The verse, verse, verse 34, they answered him, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us? And then it says, and they cast him out. He pointed out to the Pharisees the things that they should be noting. And what did they do? You are kicked out of the synagogue. You are kicked out of the area. He was so bold. He's like, hey, what worse can you do to me? I've lived this way my entire life. But all I got to tell you something is that I'm blind and I now I see. And the most beautiful thing that we can see happens in the next text because you've got to see the God that we serve. And I need you to know that in verse 1 it says, and he saw a man born blind. And then in verse 35 it says, Jesus heard that they cast him out. I hear, I've heard rumors, he told what happened to him and they kicked him out, they cast him out. And so what did Jesus do? It says, and having found him. Come on, that is, that is ridiculous, that's unbelievable. That is amazing. He healed him and he, and he leaves and to get word that he was kicked out of the synagogue and it comes back because I want you to worship me. That's what he wants. He said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Jesus says this to the, to the blind beggar. He says, what do, you, do you believe in the Son of Man? 36, he answered. And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? 37, Jesus said to him, you have seen him and it is he who is speaking to you. 38, Lord, I believe how do we know he believed? Look at his response. He worshiped. And he worshiped him. What do we need to learn? Let me, let me summarize. Before we go into our lessons, let me just go in really quick here to John Piper's quote on, on this verse right here. He says this, and that's the last thing we see or hear of this man, the, the, the now healed uh, beggar. That is the point of the story. Jesus does the works of God. Jesus is the glory of God. Jesus is to be worshipped. The man was blind. And then he called Jesus the man. And then he called him a prophet. And then he defended him at huge risk. Then he fell down and worshipped him. That is why Jesus came into the world. Because he is seeking worshippers. Lessons that we can learn. We'll come back to that point in just a minute. Lessons that we can learn. Number one, we all have, we, we have all we need to live out the mission of God. May we urgently do so. Verse 1, he saw a man. Verse 5, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming. Not looking at the sun, not looking at the, the time of day. He's looking at the, the time period, what he's looking at. There are millions of people, thousands of people who do not know who Jesus is. He, they don't know who he is. And in this text, he's declaring that there is an urgency for us to be about teaching them who he is. And I believe that a burdened God today is searching for burdened believers who are urgent about the mission of God. A burdened God is searching for burdened believers. We have the full story of Jesus. We have the power of the gospel. We have the full revelation of who he is. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, it says we have the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, we have the outline of where we're to go and what we're to do. And so not only that, we have every single thing that we need to be about the mission of God. So let us get after it in an urgent way. And I know you hear me say this a lot, but I don't think that there's anything more important for us to be here and why we're here than making sure that the name and the fame of God is lifted up through and in our church. 
And so what do we do with that? I just want you to do one thing. I want you to think of one person between now and the end of the year. And I want you to go out in an all-out assault in prayer for that person so that they might know Jesus this year. I want you to think of one person. I want you to pray for that person. And I want you to ask God to, to, to bring your, your lives together in such a way where you might be able to sit down with them and say, hey, listen, I, uh, the one thing I do know is I was blind and now I see and I really want to tell you about it. Because I was doing this, but then God came into my life. And this is what's happened since. I've got hope, I've got peace, I've got joy. And I just want you to know something, that you were created for him, that you were created to worship him. And he is asking us to share that message and do so urgently. Maybe one way we can look at it is, when is the last time that God saved someone in front of you? Or name the last three times you tried to just share Christ with someone. It's not the saving because that's the Lord's work. But it is the sharing is so important for us. And I pray and I beg that we would do so urgently. It's so important because you know why? It's so good. It's so good. God, number two, God has a wise, good, and Christ-exalting purpose for everything that happens to you. God has a wise, good, and Christ-exalting purpose for everything that happens to you. And I look at this text right here, and I see this man who was born blind. He's born that way. He has an affliction. He, is, he cannot see. He is sitting by the temple. He is looked at as a loser. He's looked at as an outcast. And I'm looking at it, and I'm going like this. I think a lot of times in our church, especially recently, what God is trying to get us to see is see through and past these circumstances that can so easily ensnare us and weigh us down that we don't live for the glory of God and the fame of his name. And I think sometimes it's distracting to us. I feel like that this, this, this idea that God uses our situations for his glory is coming up a lot in our church. And I think it's a continual lesson that we continually need to know and learn. The man was born blind. Why? For the glory of God. So we can sit there and say the cancer for his glory, the infertility for his glory, the children for his glory, the sickness for his glory, the death for his glory, the chronic pain for his glory, the healing for his glory. May we pray that God would allow us to embrace the afflictions and the God-ordained things that we have in our life so that we may see them as a platform for the greatest mission in all of the world. May we see that for him. I just need you to know personal illustration right now. I just want you to know something. I hate being diabetic. I laugh at it sometimes, and I'm just like, ugh. I've been diabetic since I was 12 years old. I'm 47. I hate it. I don't like it. This week, I really was mad at it. I was like really low and then really high. Blood sugar. Blood sugar. Blood sugar. You with me? That's important. So it's like, it goes low, and I, oh, I start stuffing my face with food. And it's food I don't normally eat, and I really like it, and I eat too much of it, and then it goes really high. And then all of a sudden, I give myself insulin, and it goes really low. You have things like that in your life that we deal with on a regular basis. And here's what God is teaching us, I believe, is that, that God has a wise and good and Christ-exalting purpose for everything that happens to him. My wife said this to me so beautifully. Everything that happens to us comes through the filter of his hands. 
Everything. And I think we should continually preach that point to us ourselves. That we have this affliction. And I believe that when we do that, here's what happens. Here's what happens. When we don't have healing like we want to, or we don't experience it like we want to, we're still declaring boldly, though I was blind, now I see because of his presence in our life has allowed us to see and bask in his presence over the affliction and the pain. And that is a, that is a radical transformation. You say, oh, it's really easy that he can do that because he was healed. Or it's really easy for they can do that because we have wanted to have kids, but we can't have kids. And, um, you know, Hannah, oh, we can talk about Hannah, but, but, but Hannah prayed and she got a child. There's people that have been battling infertility for a long time. And some guy, sometimes God says no. And in, in, in the midst of that, sometimes that makes us really grumpy. I, I'm, I'm asking us for us to look, look at these situations through the lens of a good God who uses all of these things. A, he is a wise, good, and Christ-exalting purpose for everything that happens to us for his name's sake. And then lastly, we have this, and it's a question for you. How is your worship of King Jesus? How is your worship of King Jesus? The Bible says that he believed and he worshiped. The purpose of all of our circumstances is to come and worship him. He's seeking that in our lives right now. And is there a situation that is derailing you from worship? Or could it be that you have a faulty definition of what worship is? That worship is simply just music. Worship is far more than that. And what I want us to know is that what Jesus is trying to get us to do is to be a worshiper of himself that's what this blind man did. It's not like he just, yes, I believe. And he responded to that belief. His actions of that belief, his response to it was, I'm going to worship you. I'm going to praise you. I'm going to lift your name up. So may we be overwhelmed by his love and his grace that we are driven to worship no matter what he does or does not do in our lives. And may the words on our mouth and the testimony of our heart be, though I was blind, now I see. For his glory. I love you guys. Let's pray. Lord, I love you and I thank you for who you are. Thank you that we get to speak this morning about just how good you are and how great you are. Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged to know um, that through our afflictions, you can use them for your glory. Um, we have been learning that a lot this year personally and collectively, as a body. Help us to recognize that. We look at the blind man, and we look at his testimony. And Lord, everybody in here who has a relationship with Jesus has a testimony that though they were blind, now they see. And I'm praying in Jesus' name that we would use that testimony urgently for your glory. May we declare your goodness, your grace, and all that you are to folks that we come in contact with. And God, I pray right now that you would burden every single heart in this service, in the service before, with one person that they might be able to tell about who you are. Lord, give us a burden. There, it is so good. We oftentimes tell about restaurants that we love and things that we get, new cars that we buy, a new house that we buy. May we be just as enthusiastic about talking to people about you 
as we are about the stuff that you bless us with. It's all for your glory, and it's for the fame of your great name. There is no one like you. We thank you for being the light of the world. Now may we be salt and light, just like the woman at the well was, and just like this formerly blind beggar was. In Jesus' name, amen.